This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And off we go. Welcome, everyone, to the Must Listen To Saturday Morning Sports Talk Show in all of Acadiana under the dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game, and 1037thegame.com. Live from the 1037 The Game studios, as always, enjoying myself kind of, again, you know, every week, I kind of try to mention this, is that I'm the only person inside the 1037 The Game studios. I am the producer, the host, the guy that wrangles up all the sound, and God knows what else we can do on this show there's a lot of things that go into it, and I absolutely love doing it. So, hey, we're going to keep things rolling on the right way. And, you know, if you want to give me a call, 337-706-0111 is the number to call. Is that magic number that you need to call if you want to chat us up about anything. And trust me, we are willing to go the full gambit today. Only two guests today, so plenty of room for you to take the hot tag and you and I can break it down like a fraction about a lot of different things. You want to talk LSU and their struggles on the hardwood, also a little bit on the baseball diamond as well early on in this baseball season, losing to Eastern Kentucky last night? We can do that. You want to talk about the Cajuns and their big game against UL Monroe later tonight? We could talk about that. You want to talk about the Cajuns getting things done, Mad Degs and crew first win of the Teague last night? We could talk about that. If you want to talk about the Pels, we can talk about that, but I'm going to start things off with something that definitely kind of burned my beans unlike any other. And I feel like it's a perfect time to kind of talk about what's going on with the Houston Astros. And, yes, we talk about it every week. It feels like every time I'm wanting to come on air and start the show with something else entirely, start off an hour, something else in the world of sports. It could have been the Pelicans. Start off second half, big win over the Portland Trailblazers. But, no. It has to be the Houston Astros because there's another wrinkle to it, and this one burnt me up like nobody else, like nothing else this week. And it probably has people, not just Astros fans, shaking their head. This goes beyond party lines, if you will, if you're talking about fan bases. This goes towards the line of human decency. And I feel like we just continue to look at this, and I feel like I'm I'm just shaking my head and whoever is doing this, and I'm sure it's probably a lot of different people hiding behind the keyboard with a profile pic of somebody else to where we don't know who the hell you are out of a lineup. That's not the way you handle things in 2020. That's not jabronis that do things. And whoever this person or persons are, they are the king of jabronis. And thankfully, I don't know him by name. Because if I did, I'd easily be like telling them, bro, you need to stop this and maybe get off social media forever because you're doing it wrong. You're doing it all wrong. But if you missed the story yesterday, I'm going to waste a little time and say something that needs to be said. Social media may be the most toxic thing 
that's ever existed for a lot of different reasons. And if you heard the story yesterday, I'll get to the who, the what, the where, and the when, the why. But the most damning thing of it all is people hide behind a username that so no one really knows it's him or her, probably him, and a profile picture of somebody else, and they hide behind that to say some of the most foul and despicable things imaginable. And I'm not just saying the seven words I can't say on the air. I'm saying some really horrid and disgusting stuff. I, I, I'm trying my hardest not to just get outright angry and furious at these people. So we start things off. Josh Reddick mentioned to reporters, this is coming from Chandler Rome of the Houston Chronicle, it made me sick to my stomach, that Josh Reddick had to tell reporters that he's received comments on Instagram saying that they hope his young kids get cancer. Who honestly in 2020 thinks this is even remotely close to okay? This is unacceptable. This goes beyond fan loyalty, me free. And it's more about common decency in general. And if you've seen some of the bashing that these players, and not just Astros players, this goes across the board. You go look at celebrities. You go look at act. You go look at celebrities, actors, these influencers. You see that kind of stuff all the time. Trust me. Go on a pro wrestler. Go on a female pro wrestler's Twitter account. And you will see ungodly amounts of you-know-what, and trust me, you don't even want to approach the DMs of some of these people because, let me just put it this way, there's a lot of things in there that you don't want to see in those DMs, and if you did, you'd probably wind up realizing that there's a lot of people who are just complete and utter idiots. But this is absolutely despicable. The bashing they're getting, this goes beyond that. This is threatening somebody's family. Jim Rome talks about all the time, reasons to go. If this person said this to him to his face, I guarantee you, Josh Reddick would have beaten the ever-living you-know-what out of him. Again, trying not to completely go off the rails here, but it's just facts. I am absolutely just furious at the stupidity that some people have when it comes to using social media. we got people saying they'll kill and Astros players' entire family all over a cheating scandal, all over that. There's no reason why you should say that regardless, but you're doing this over a cheating scandal. What the hell are you doing with your time to where you're causing this much this much discourse for a team? Like, they're going to be dealing with this for, for months and years on end until they're no longer part of the MLB. Is all these MLB purists or whatever the hell these lunatic fringe is, they want the Astros franchise to be removed from the record and pretty much canceled. They want the cancel culture to take out the Astros completely and make sure they are wiped off the face of the earth. And honestly, the Astros should be using all this as tackling fuel, if we're going to steal a phrase from the water boy. They should be using all this as tackling fuel and motivation to make this like a revenge tour. That way they can kind of make them eat that bleep-eating pie and I absolutely love this because it just shows that, you know, we want to see that revenge tour. We want to see they make sure every single one of these 30 teams, especially the Los Angeles Dodgers, especially the New York Yankees and their respective fan bases to make sure they eat a big old pile of humble pie. And I'm just sitting here right here right now in the 103.7 Game Studios. Full disclosure, big Astros fan. If you know me well enough, you know that already. But it's just beyond 
fan fan bases and party lines. There's no reason why somebody should be threatening a family's life or wishing somebody had cancer. I think that was the most damning thing. And it makes you wonder, why hasn't the FBI gotten involved? The MLB should be calling them to try and figure out and get and dox out these people, make sure they can make sure we know who they are and they know who to take care of in this sense and make sure they arrest them because this is, like, threatening. This is very, very threatening regardless if there was actually intent to do so or not. You say you're going to murder an entire player's family on social media. That's out there forever, Jack. I can screenshot that, and we'd figure out who the hell you are. And you could very well be reported to proper authorities, and then it's game over for you, pal. I guarantee you that. But it's just beyond the pale. It needs to stop in general. I talked about it earlier. Across the board, not just with football players and athletes. I'm just talking straight up human decency. We need to stop cyberbullying altogether. And this is just another example of doing so. Never there should never should there be a situation where you threaten someone's life or wish cancer upon someone. I'm sure most everyone that's listening right now on 103.7 The Game. Knows someone that has gone through cancer at one point or another and knows that they would never, and I mean never, wish that upon even their worst enemies. Saying such vile things makes me sick and has me wondering, and this is kind of me on almost a daily basis when I just look at everything, is saying, you know, is social media actually worth having? And coming from somebody who is in the media business, we kind of need it. We need that kind of stuff to make sure we're up to the minute. We get the latest news. I found out great stuff about the CBA. And fun fact, this is really cool stuff. LSU Baseball just hit 300,000 followers on Twitter. LSU Cajun Softball just got started against Oklahoma State. Game two of that series up at UAB. So I could give you updates on that. It's, it's a great tool, but there are tools out there that use it in the completely wrong way and ruin what makes... Social media, great, in my mind. Sometimes social media can be a great thing. But people like that need to be not need to be banned from social media and that their brains haven't fully developed because they don't know how much their words have consequences. Or if they do, my God, there's a bigger problem in society. When I went to SEC Media Days last summer, a big talking point was student athletes' mental health in the modern world and social media and all the criticism players get on a daily basis. And I think that definitely plays a huge role in that. Because the fact they're hearing this from people they've never even met. Imagine you're a, you're a kicker, a college kicker, and you miss a field goal at the last moment to cost you the game. I'm almost certain that kicker will be on Twitter no more than a, a couple hours after. And he'll see mentions upon mentions upon mentions on Pell Mentions. And I'm sure it probably goes on 24 hours after the fact of people just bombarding this guy with nothing but, like, bad stuff, bad juju all the way around. And it messes with a player's psyche. I wrote a really cool long-form piece about it. I'll link it during the break on Twitter. You can follow the show on Twitter, at Under the Dome CD, and also follow us on Twitter, at 1037thegame, and on Facebook, 1037thegame. Just search for that, just that simple. But... I heard from South Carolina quarterback Jake Bentley that he even admitted he straight up deleted the Twitter app from his phone after last season so he doesn't have to see some of the crap 
that people put on his in his mentions. Or again, I talked about it earlier. Heaven forbid the DMs. Because when it goes to the DMs, it becomes a very, very toxic place. And it's just not ideal. That being said, I think that social media is a good thing. But at the same time, there's people out there that use it the exact opposite way they should. Using it in the way where they want to try and completely threaten people's lives, livelihood, and their lives even. I think we're better than that as a society in 2020. But, you know, I think we're starting to realize slowly but surely we still have a ways to go when it comes right down to it. But I got a great show coming up today. We're going to kind of just move on and move past that when it comes to this stuff because that's a whole mess that I'm not even going to try and deep dive into. I'm trying to just bring up my thoughts on it. If you want to talk about it some more, far be it from you to stop me from talking about it, but I'm going to get to some other stuff in a little bit. But we got a great show coming up today. Only two guests on the program mentioned earlier. At 1030, we got a very special guest joining the program, Virginia Tech baseball head coach John Sheff. He joins the program at 1030. Of course, former Cages assistant from 03 to 08. So I'm looking forward to talking to him a lot about Tony Robichaud and his memories and like the interactions with him that he had over the five years as an assistant coach of the Raging Cajuns after Wade Seminole left. And then also at 1130, we got a big fight tonight. Wilder Fury 2, it's the Bomb Squad taking on Tyson Fury, the rematch of all rematches. Love our good friend Brent Blaine Henry of Fight Library Podcast at 11.30. Join the program. But when we take a quick timeout, we'll come back, and we're going to go something very, very different. And if you saw the news that popped up yesterday, or Thursday, I should say, I think you'll love this thing because it would be definitely a lot more lighter side compared to what we just talked about. But trust me, it's nonetheless important. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. The numbers don't lie, because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk. Fat! On Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com, bro. And we are back and better than ever live from the 103.7 The Game studios, as always. And, you know, I'm playing this one largely for a big reason. And if you know what I'm talking about, I think you probably want to be on the interwebs for a good bit of time over the last 24 to 48 hours and you know that they probably had the most absurd story ever when it comes to just headlines. I know we're not talking about the pole vaulter. I'll just leave it at that. I'm not talking about Mondo Duplantis, so you can just kind of use your imagination or don't because I don't want anybody to have that vision in their head of what happened there. But, of course, we're talking about a Thibodeau, Louisiana native, Greg Robinson, former Cleveland Brown, and also wide receiver Quan Bray. And they got arrested on Thursday. So in case you didn't hear about this, they were arrested at the Sierra Blanca border 
earlier this week, and were found with, get this, 157 pounds of weed. Yes, you heard me right, 157 pounds of weed. That is absolutely absurd. Bottom line, just how do you manage to get that into several large duffel bags into the rear cargo of an air, of a vehicle that they had an Uber driver with, apparently. And the Uber driver even said, admitted that he didn't think anything was up. He didn't think anything was suspicious. Like, how is that possible? When you see people carry, probably, I don't know if this is actually true, but let's say it's 50-pound duffel bags, because I saw the bags, and they're absolutely enormous. So at the end of the day, you had to imagine these guys, and mind you, Greg Robinson, big cat. He's a former offensive lineman. You've got a wide receiver, guys who could probably handle 50 pounds of anything, really. Not necessarily look like they're struggling. If it was somebody like me, 50 pounds of just hauling that around would probably be a bit too much. But at the end of the day, it is absolutely ridiculous that somebody got busted for 157 pounds of marijuana. The Uber driver said he didn't even smell the grass, which is just, it's like, how is that even possible? Full disclosure, I've never had Mary Jane or smoked smoke pot in my life. So I don't know exactly how it all smells before it's lit up. But I'm sure that it probably, you'd wind up smelling at least something and at least assume it's not, it's not supposed to be there. And we see people with like multiple bags that, that like weigh a good bit. I'm sure you got to be just a little bit suspicious, right? There's going to be a little something going on unless the dude is just absolutely playing dumb. But seriously, 157 pounds of marijuana. Oh, boy, that's, that's a whole lot of stuff. And obviously, this is going to be facing like 20 years of in jail. And I think definitely the evidence mounts against them because 70 pounds, you really can't say outright that you're going to be imbibing on that all on your lonesome. Definitely feels like that's easier said than done. But, man, when I saw that story pop up, I'm like, this is immediately just... It grabs your attention, the entire situation game. Gregor Robinson, Quad Bray, both busted for 157 pounds of that Mary Jane. That makes me think about one thing and one thing only. Stay off the weed. And that's just how I am. And it's like, you just need to stay off of it and kind of just go away for a while. And this is just... Like, he's been going away probably for a long time. The fact that he got busted for this. A 26-year-old ex-player in Quan Bray and Greg Robinson, who hasn't played in a good bit. In fact, Quan Bray recently part of the Montreal Alouettes. I definitely think he's not going to be part of that franchise any longer. Up at the Great Wide North, he was all the way in the Deep South, heading towards Mexico. So, definitely... A big, big mess when it comes down to it. And the third, there's, again, third person in the SUV was not charged, but Robinson and Bray allegedly tried to get that person to take the fall for the Mary Jane. And while in custody, agents observed a text notification on Robinson's cell phone from a contact listed as Grow House Indoor. 
Yeah, that'll want to get you in a whole lot of trouble. And if convicted, 20 years in prison, both these guys are. So safe to say their playing days are over after dealing with and possibly dealing the sticky icky. That's going to leave it at that. Not a great look for them, but other things going on this weekend. I think obviously we need to talk about all the great stuff going on with with the Pelicans. What heck of a way to start off the second half of the 2019-2020 season with another really solid performance from Zion Williamson, 128-115 to 115 in a crazy game. And Zion Williamson, now the youngest player in NBA history to have seven straight 20-plus point games. Heck of, a, heck of a performance from the young pup. And it just really shows this team is starting to set things up nicely for them. But they've still got a ways to go. They're taking on the Warriors tomorrow night. Right here, right now, the Pels are in 11th place, 18 and a half games back of the one seed. But right here, right now, they're still three and a half back of the Memphis Grizzlies. And they've still got, excuse me, they're four games back. Because you've got the Spurs, the Blazers, and the, and the Grizzlies all above you. You've got to try your hardest to get up to that nine spot, in my mind. If you struggle down the stretch, and I talked about this with Jordy yesterday. If you struggle down the stretch and you're the New Orleans Pelicans franchise, you've got to start making que- questioning what your next move is. If Alvin Gentry's crew does not make the playoffs, but they're a nine seed, team stays in touch. But here's the but of it all. If they stay in the 11 seed and they don't in that 11 spot in the Western Conference, then they don't get into the playoffs and they never really moved up or down. That makes me if I'm a if I'm the GM of the franchise, if I'm David Griffin, I'm seriously thinking about getting rid of them, moving on and figuring something else out down the road. Going to go ahead and take a quick time out, come back. We're going to talk with John Sheff, Virginia Tech baseball head coach, about his team, Tony Robo Show memories, and a whole lot more. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. The famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Few Manchester United supporters. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. And you know what they say about best laid plans? Sometimes just they don't necessarily work out. We're efforting to get on the head coach of Virginia Tech Baseball, John Sheff, former Cajun assistant for 2003 to 2008. I told him 10.30 Central Time. I know they're out here. They're getting ready for game two of the series at Cajun Field, first pitch at 2 o'clock. Hopefully we can get him on the program before too long because I would love to have him on and talk about a lot of different things. It was kind of, we, we arranged it, we confirmed it. Just waiting on him to call us up. But you know, 
In the meantime and in between time, there's other things that we could talk about because, hey, we got content for days. And I think we could talk about what's going on with the LSU Tigers struggling on the court over the last few games, and it has not been a great look for them. I think definitely you look at everything they've done as of late is the exact opposite of what you want to do. And he threw a lot of players under the bus recently, and I don't think that's the way you want to do things. It's not the best look in the world. And Will Wade talked about it at a press conference recently saying you got to be able to guard when you're not making shots, and that's exactly what they needed to do on Tuesday night against the 10th-ranked Kentucky Wildcats. Every coach sits up here and says, uh, if, uh, you know, you got to be able to guard when you're not making shots and all that. I just think that's a bunch of BS. I think it's hard to get people to do stuff defensively if they're not seeing success on offense. I just think that's that sounds nice and that's a great coaching line and it's a heck of a cliche, but it's stupid. It's not realistic. It's not realistic at any level, high school, college, NBA. When I was an assistant in college, that's all I focused on was defense. I didn't, I didn't know the first thing about offense. I got my first head job at Chattanooga. I realized real quick, we better score. These jokers ain't going to play very hard. And so I, I, changed, I, changed what, I changed what we did because I think all that stuff sounds nice in coaching, but it's just wrong. And that's exactly what the biggest problem was. They were just not able to guard, and they struggled in that aspect, and they just want to not looking great against the, the Kentucky Wildcats, try to rally back late. But when you're down by as much as they were, it's kind of a case of too little too late. You need to try and cut that lead a little bit earlier and make sure you have a chance even a remote chance of coming away with a victory against a 10th-ranked Kentucky team. Again, this was a perfect chance to get something that Will Wade talks about a lot, and that is a Q1 victory, a win over a really quality program. That did not happen on Tuesday night. Now you've got to get ready and try and bounce back tonight against the South Carolina Gamecocks at 5 o'clock. You'll hear it right here on 103.7 The Game. And that's going to be a, a tough game right now. The Tigers currently one-and-a-half-point dogs per um, uh, morning lines that I was looking at before the show started is one-and-a-half-point dogs against South Carolina, a team that hasn't necessarily been a world beater. But it's still not a great look if you're a basketball program that's that had such a great start. You look at what they did. 8-0 to start the 20. 20- 20 years. Starting off conference play. 8-0 to start off conference play. Winners of 10 straight. Where are they now? They're currently 9-4 and and in a tie for second place with Florida and Auburn. Auburn, they've lost to Florida. They beat. But man, it's just, it's an uphill climb for this team to be able to get things done and set themselves up for even like remote success. Again, they've got Florida Actually, next Wednesday. Florida on Wednesday night, tip-off at 8 o'clock. And then you've got Texas A&M, Arkansas at Arkansas. I was I, I was listening to the Five Guys replay. I mean, kind of backtracks them. I said it was LSU-Arkansas at LSU. Now it's at Arkansas. And it's not the same Arkansas team. Texas A&M, they're very much towards that middle of the pack. We wrap it up against Georgia, who is one of the bottom feeders in the Conference of Dixie this year, so we're going to try and figure out what's going on there. But again, these final, like five, these final five games, they're all they all have a chance to be winnable. I think South Carolina is going to be a real test for them. 
And then Florida's the real monster of it all. If you can beat Florida, then you have a chance to very well run the table in these final five games, and then we can kind of like unclench ourselves and basically say, hey, we're good, we're going to hang tight, and we're going to hang tough with the absolute best of them. And we'll see what happens from there. That's definitely the biggest thing at the end of the day when it comes to LSU hoops in their final five games of the season. But you look around the country, I think one of the other big stories that I'm going to talk about without a doubt is what's going on in the Sunbelt Conference because the Cajuns are not looking too great. They are currently third from they're basically third to last team in the conference. They're very close to possibly not even making the NC two eight tournament. And we're gonna try and figure some stuff out right now. We just gotta you know back try and get again, trying to get Coach John Chef on the program, kinda of going back and forth with him uh, some some higher up people, try and get him on the program. If not, it is what it is. We will gladly move on. But going back to the Sunbelt Conference, the Cajuns in their final five games are taking on Ewell Monroe later today. Ewell Monroe is the bottom feeder of the Sunbelt Conference. You've got our, actually, final four games, excuse me, for them because they they had Troy. They've got a weird schedule. And then they've got Arkansas State, who definitely is like right in that same level as UL. They can wind up hopping over that, that proverbial hump and get things done, but it's definitely going to be a little bit of a a little bit of a hop. And then you've got your final two games, Little Rock and Coastal Carolina. Little Rock is your top dog. If you can knock them off and knock them off that purge, that sets you up nicely, but you're still going to have to try and fight your way over to go from Coastal Carolina on March, uh, March 3rd, on Tuesday, before the tournament. And again, the tournament is very different from last year's tournament. Last year's iteration was a whole lot of stuff. Where last year's iteration was perfectly fine. But now you've got the setup where you have to be, you have the playing games. You have those playing games that the Cajuns in the past have never really had to worry about. That They've been able to have a bye week and get into the quarterfinal. But now only the semifinals and the finals are taking place inside the Smoothie King Center, inside the Big Blenda, which, by the way, you can enter in. Right now, 1037thegame.com for a Sunbelt tournament experience unlike any other. Get the details over at 1037thegame.com and enter in the Rewards Club. Free to enter, free to join. If you're not part of it already, what in the world are you waiting for it? And it looks like we're going to try our hardest again. He's pretty reliable on these requests. I mean, I've been able to get in touch with – in fact, I was talking with somebody who knew him pretty well when he was at UL and said, you know, things just – he's usually very prompt on these, but, you know, is what it is. Maybe just a little bit busy and maybe maybe a little bit frustrated after two nothing loss to the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and hopefully we can get them on. As soon as I see that light blink, I might be taking a quick timeout try and get them on so we can wrap up hour number one in a perfect way. I was going to wrap up the hour with rounding bases. You know, I don't mind changing format for a guest that I've been wanting to have pretty much since like I found out the schedule for twenty twenty. Is John Chef. Regardless of everything that happened over the summer with Tony Robichaud passing away, I think those are the guests I've been wanting to have. But again, just looking at the Cajuns basketball team, it is going to be an uphill climb. I think with the fact you got that Little Rock team, you could very you have a chance to go three and four. I think, excuse me, three and one. 
in these final four games. And you're 6-10 in conference play, and you have a chance to move up a couple spots because you've got Arkansas State and Coastal Carolina as one of those two of those final four games, and they're only one game up on you. You take both those games, things wind up changing. Your, the conversation winds up changing. All right, we're going to go ahead and take a quick time. I'll be back with more Under the Dome with CD on Acadian Sports Station 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. From the preps. I gave it a, uh, a 10. A 10. To the pros. And everywhere in between. Let's get back under the dome with the world-famous CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Off we go. Last segment of our number one of Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game, live as always from the 103.7 The Game studios. And we got our guy. He is aboard the 1037 The Game Hotline, 337-706-0111. He is in his third season as a head coach of the Virginia Tech Hokies baseball program. Has been in the coaching game for about 30 years. Previously an assistant coach for the Cajuns from 2003 to 2008. Filling in for the great Wade Seminole after he went over to La Tech. And heading to this weekend, he stands at 436 career wins and his team getting ready for game two of a three-game set against those Louisiana Raging Cajuns. He is Coach John Chef. Chef, how's it going? Yep, good. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. And again, we talked about it just a moment ago, assistant coach for the Cajuns from 2003 to 2008. You remember the old Teague back in the day of what it looked like. What was your immediate oh, yeah. reaction whenever you walked over to the newly renovated Teague and just seeing the cathedral that it is now? Well, uh, I mean, my first thought was it's probably exactly what uh, what Robe had planned and what he wanted and what he had worked all those years for. Uh, I never really had a good picture of it myself when I was working here. I know he always had a vision for it. Um, so, I mean, I, I thought it was really well done in that they constructed it. They they constructed the new part of it kind of around a lot of the old part of it as far as the, the, the red seating. Uh, they didn't mess with the boxes down the line. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot that's new, but there's also still a fair amount that's that's not new. Uh, I was really impressed yesterday. Bab took me through the uh, clubhouse, the redone clubhouse and coaches' offices. So there's also a lot there maybe that the – that the guy sitting and that the fan sitting in the stands maybe doesn't see that I thought was really well done. So, and it's amazing just seeing how they've been able to put it all together. And one of the things I love about it now they've added on padded walls. And I know you were part of it back when you, with the, you still had that old setup. I mean, the padded wall is probably just such a big benefit for them, and also a lot less potential for injury, like we've seen maybe with some of the older players. Yeah, my first time. First thing I said to Anthony was that old John Coker playing center field would have liked to have that padded wall so he didn't run into that tin that was out there because that John was pretty famous for doing that, as, a, as were several of the other outfielders that played here when I was here. But Coker in particular, he'd hit that wall. He didn't really have much of a, a, a fear of that wall. But the, the padding does, it helps all the players. I, also, the padding down the line to cover the brick, as, as much as the brick, I think, added. Um, a visual uh, to the ballpark, the padding is good for the players because 
you know, the close play up against the wall, the foul ball, I mean, those guys are not going to have as much worry as far as going into that wall now. The fact that they probably don't fear for their lives quite as much as they used to. So, It's all right now with Virginia Tech head coach John Sheff. And, you know, looking at last night's game, 2 nothing loss for the Hokies. Why don't you recap last night? Because it just looked like Connor Angel was in fuego last night on, on, on the mound. Yeah, no, he was good, man. I give him credit. He came out there and did what uh, what you want a Friday night starter to do. I thought both starters did a really good job. Um, you know, we we made had we had a couple uh, defensive miscues that kind of uh, added up to a couple runs for them and and give their arms credit. I mean, they they kept zeros on the board for them. I I told uh, the newspaper guys after the game that would have been a that would put a smile on on old Robe's face because when you're you know as a as a pitching person, that's what you're trying to do on a Friday, and uh, that's what they did. That's what the Cajuns have kind of always been known for since I've been around them is, is their pitching and defense, not to take anything away from the offensive things. But, um, yeah, that, 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 that the Angel Angel kid was really good last night. He was uh, he kept us in check, and uh, they played. The other thing is they played really good defense behind him. There wasn't a whole bunch of freebies. I don't think he even walked too many guys. I don't have a box score in front of me, but you know, it's difficult to win on the road when you don't get any freebies, and, and we didn't get too many last night. Talk right now with Virginia Tech Hokies baseball coach John Sheff. He's on the game hotline right now, and you know the season so far hasn't necessarily been the way you did, probably drew it up at the beginning of the year. But what's been the who's been a big like key player for this team through this early early stretch? Um, I mean, I think we've had a lot of. Uh, good solid contributors. I mean, from that, as far as one key guy, um, that's really kind of hard to put a finger on. I mean, you know, from a pitching perspective, we've gotten, we played four games, we've gotten four good starts. So, I mean, Chris Gerard, the kid you guys saw last night, has been tremendous for us. He's had two outings, um, and I don't think he's given up an earned run yet. So, I guess if I was going to pick a key, guy he probably would be it um we have to do a better, little bit of a better job of supporting him as far as run production goes but um yeah he's been pretty pretty outstanding but that's kind of what we figured he'd be and i think that's what he expects of himself so you know i think uh we just have to build on on, on our run support and playing better defense and coach i mean we can definitely talk a lot about what's going on on the field but let's step away off the field for a moment and just reminisce on what Tony Robichaud meant to you over the five years you were part of this program and really helping kind of bring – we brought up offense earlier. The offense when you were here was on another level with a lot of guys. I can think off top, Brad Saloom is definitely one that, top, that comes off top, Jonathan Lucroy, the list can go on and on and on. But what was Robichaud like and yeah. you working so close with him? What was that like working with him? Well, I mean – Tony was a very consistent guy. He was the same guy every day, you know, whether things were going good or, or things weren't going good on the field. You, you know, you always kind of knew what you were going to get with him, which is what any coach would want. He's a good, solid person. I mean, that's the best thing I could probably say about him. You know, if you put baseball aside, he's a great family guy. Um, I mean, I came down here from New York with my wife, and we had two of our three kids here, and, um, he was just always a very good person to me and my wife and kids, and he gave me an opportunity, a guy from New York, from a small school in New York, which, you know, nowadays you might not see that. I mean, he kind of took a pretty good leap of faith, I'd say, in that regard. 
Um, and it really, it really opened a lot of doors for me personally, but it also gave me a great education working with him and, and, and Anthony Babineau and Chris Bellman in those years. It, it kind of educated me on, on a lot of little things, you know, I think how to treat people, um, good, good, solid manners, believe it or not, I think, um, you know, trying to stay as positive as possible. You know, I was able to recruit on, on a national level, which I really wasn't when I was working in the Northeast from a baseball perspective. Um, the other thing I'd say about here was he, he kind of he kind of showed me that that college baseball what 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 it meant for a college baseball game to be an event. Like if you go to a college baseball game, it's a peak. It's an event. Is it a sporting game? Yes, but it's an event for the people attending the production of it. Uh, he always had a great vision for the production of it. And it was my, it was kind of fell a little bit more back on me as far as player preparation. And we were really lucky. I mean, we had a lot of really good players, boy, when I was here. Gee whiz. I mean, both, both guys were local guys and guys like Luke Croy and Farquhar and, and several other guys that came from, from areas outside of Louisiana. So it was, um, I'm not, I can say I got nothing but great, great thoughts and memories of this place, and uh, it's been a, a, it's been a lot of fun to come back to see the people and and just to kind of get to get back in in the in the atmosphere, so to speak. Do you still keep in touch with some of the former players? You brought up Farquhar, you brought up Luke Roy. Do you still keep up with those guys? Yeah, I usually spend. Uh, I usually take. Uh, my sons or, or if my wife and daughter want to come, we'll go hang out with John one weekend of the summer. Like last summer in August, I took the boys up to Pittsburgh and we spent two days watching the Cubs and the Pirates. And, um, I text with Danny, um, here and there, uh, especially with all the medical stuff he went through. Uh, so yeah, I, I stay in touch, you know, with some of the guys, not some of the guys I recruited, I guess I'm probably somewhat close with just, because of the relationships, um, Justin Morgan, I, I talked with him quite a bit, you know, being a high school coach over in Baton Rouge, he's helped me out with some players over the years. And every time I talk with a guy like Morgan, it's like, you're, you're right back in Lafayette and coaching and, and just doing what you were doing. It was, it's like time never elapsed at all. Um, again, we're probably one of the best Cajun guys I, I ever was around. And that's not to knock the Dallas Morrises and the Phillip Hawks and, God, Kevin Ardwine and the, the Craig Shambles of the world, they, those guys were as good as they come. Um, but Morgan was kind of a special guy that I talked with, you know, from time to time. Coach, thank you so much for coming on. It was a little bit later, but you know, yeah. it is what, it, as Coach Robe would say, it is what it is. We appreciate you coming on <laughs> not, nonetheless, man. Good luck the rest of the way, man. All right. Thank you, guys. You have a good day. Appreciate the time. All right. That was. Virginia Tech baseball head coach John Chef. And we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. We should be walking off on this segment, but we're not. we got another hour to go. I might get to some of my baseball stuff from the, around the world of baseball. Spring training getting underway for the Astros later today. Maybe some XFL. We'll see. 337-706-0111 is the place to be. we got more Under the Dome in just a few, so keep it locked. Right here to 103.7 The Game. This 
should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome, everyone, to hour number two of two of Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station. 1037 The Game at 1037thegame.com. Appreciate John Chef for coming aboard the program. It took a little bit, but we finally got the man on the show. And that's just always kind of, again, we've talked about it before. It just, in the words of Tony Robert Show, it is what it is. We had a book for 1030. Things wound up happening. He's usually, I was getting emails from, again, I got to give credit to Mark Mullen, the baseball SID, for hooking this up. And, you know, I say, hey, you know, we come on and join the show. We'll talk to him. We'll have him live. And said he's usually quite prompt on this, so he's usually reliable on it. And I know for people who know him, it's like he told me, I, they told me, hey, he'll be, they'll get with you like right away, probably be early even. And I'm like, hell, I'll take that. Because again, full disclosure, the only person inside the 1037 Game Studios at this moment. So hey, we try and get things going. We definitely got us back on the, we got him on the air. So I'm more than happy about that. But, you know, I want to start off hour number two of two and a little fun because I think everybody wound up hearing what Rob Manfred had to say last Sunday in that interview with the four London network that he had to kind of crawfish on. Pun definitely intended there. And Rob Manfred talked about the World Series title. Talking about it like a piece of metal. And I'm not going to play the soundbite like Rome did nonstop because I'm kind of getting tired of that soundbite. But he he won't live that down, and the Chicago Tribune kind of mentioned that that he will never live that down. The piece of metal thing, I think people will wind up holding that against him for quite some time, especially when the World Series comes around. But it reminded me of something else, not baseball related, not even real sports related. This is more sports entertainment, and it reminded me of what Hulk Hogan did when he was in Japan. At, in New Japan Pro Wrestling, talking about the WWF title, and I'll let you hear that right now. Five times World Wrestling Federation champion. This belt is just a toy. It's like a trinket on a Christmas tree, like an ornament. He called that title a toy. I wound up getting a whole, whole lot of trouble for it. But again, like, I understand why people were just like big, big mad about it. I understand completely why people... We're upset about the fact that you've got this man strongly, I mean, I mean, strongly, like calling it a piece of metal, the World Series title, whenever it's not a piece of metal. It's, it mean, it, there's a lot of meaning to it. It's a lot like, I, I mean, this is their 10 pounds of gold if we're going to keep going with the wrestling references. And, you know, people want to continue to complain. Like this was about when he was discussing that he was reluctant to void the title of the 2017 Astros winning the World Series title. Here's the thing: I don't think they could have 
had a I had a chance to basically say hey, we're going to move on and and vacate the title and vacate the World Series title. I don't think that's ever happened in the history of professional sports. Seeing a title vacated, I could be completely wrong about that, but off the top of my head, I can't think of that ever happening because then it sets a dangerous precedent. Because I and I get it. There's a lot of people out there that want the Astros' head and basically say, hey, you did something wrong. You deserve to be punished in a big, big way. I get that. But here's the thing. You do that, what happens to the Boston Red Sox when that investigation happens? Theirs gets vacated. What could happen, let's say hypothetically, what happens in 2020, later on in the year, in October, November, if the Yankees win and they were found to have been cheating or the Los Angeles Dodgers, the people that have been the, like the two highest powers of them all. And again, maybe that's just kind of how things are. You got to complain. You got to complain to get what you want. If you're a team from the East coast or the liberal left coast in California that wants to complain and cry. Oh, we didn't win the world series. Tough cookies. That's where I'm at right now. I'm just tired and frustrated with all the people from the left coast and even in Pennsylvania, they got them saying, oh, we shouldn't be using the Astros name in the Little League. Who gives a rat's patootie about what what's going on there? Like, why are you holding yourself to such higher value if you're a Little League team? Like, yes, it's a bad look. Don't get me wrong. It's a bad look. But still, come on. Get your head out of your keister and realize, you know, things happen. Things happen. And if you got a problem with it, you know, whatever. I'm just tired of how people are portraying it on the big networks, where we're constantly hearing about how the Astros ruined the league, how the Astros exposed the business, how the Astros ruined everything. And they should be punished. They should be no longer, they should be banned as a franchise. All these players should be banned from baseball. I don't believe that at all. We talk, we've been talking about it for months on end because of the fact that keep people keep talking about it. I talked about it at the top of the hour, the, the death threats, wishing cancer upon young kids, babies even. That is unacceptable. That is beyond the pale. And I am absolutely frustrated. Had it up to here with the BS concerning the Astros and their sign-stealing. Yes, it was proven to be sign-stealing in little air quotes here inside the game studios, but I really believe that this needs to just go away and never be talked about again. Just move on, shut up, and play some baseball. Spring training just got started yesterday, and we're still talking about something that happened in 2017. We're still talking about the sign-stealing investigation that got Jeff Lunau and A.J. Hinch fired and likely out of baseball altogether because, trust me, those guys are going to have a hard time getting a job unless, of course, and this is just me saying it, I want a former player from not too long ago, let's say the last like five, six years, like a David Ortiz, who called Mike Fires a snitch, and Mike Fires is a lying little sack of you-know-what snitch. And you know what they say about snitches? They get stitches. I think when it comes down to it, I think Mike Fires is going to be getting all the smoke coming his way 
in its second game in its second series of the season because the, the Astros and the A's are squaring off. And if they if it's a two thirty game with the A's and the Astros on the West Coast in the Bay Area, brother, it is going to be all out war. Because I would not be surprised. Mike Fire says, "Screw it, I'm throwing a pitch, the first pitch of the ball game to the guy." And plunking him in the back. I guarantee you there will be a benches clearing brawl there. And that will be the penalty. That'll be the biggest moment of the season for the A's. And it could very well be one of those things where we hear about this. This could very well be a Mouse of the Palace esque moment. Bottom line. Because that is going to be a hostile, and this will be a hostile bleeping environment. The first road series for the Astros. The Oakland are going to be heckling them as all get out. You know there's going to be a lot of hatred because of the fact that the A's started this whole thing. They started this whole witch hunt and cancel culture when it comes down to it. They were the ones that told everybody, oh, hey, you know, oh, 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 ooh, 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 this guy screwed, this guy screwed us over. He, this guy was stealing signs. This guy, after he left the organization, after they kicked him out, because honestly, Mike Fires, you weren't that good. You weren't that good. You weren't that key integral part of the franchise. You had one really great moment, and that was that no-hitter for the Astros. That was the one shining moment you had in your career for the Astros. Beyond that, you were a home run hitting guy. You wound up, getting, you wound up having guys hit home runs off of you left, right, and sideways. If you don't believe me, just go look at Mike Fires. Stats for the Astros after that miraculous, I'd say, wonderful game they had. The one time I think everybody rooted for him, and I gotta say, just sometimes this dude just needs to shut up. And I think he was he was just okay for the Astros in the last couple of years before he wound up getting sent over to the Oakland A's after being part of the Detroit Tigers, which is kind of hysterical. So. Basically, he gets traded over, I believe this is at the deadline, to the Astros. He was 2-1, and one, had that no-hitter. It was really good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not hating that. Then he was 11-8, 26 home runs in that next year. The 2017 World Series, 2017, when they won the World Series, he went 8-10, 32 home runs, 32 home runs again the next year. And then he allowed 20 more. He was part of the Detroit Tigers. And then he left towards the end of the year, went to Oakland, 5-2 and two with and 12 home runs. 30 home runs last year, 15-4 and four overall record, 3.9 ERA. But again, that year whenever the Astros needed him the absolute most, he was 5.22. He was absolute dog meat. And that had nothing to do with the sign stealing. But he wants to cry and complain when the Astros ship him off when he deserved to be shipped off somewhere. Because that's he was not good enough to be part of this team going forward. Let him go, and that was the right move. Maybe you didn't maybe the Astros shouldn't have gotten rid of the chuck wagon, but that's just it is what it is. We're standing here right here, right now, and the Astros are getting ostracized day in and day out. And it's just overall frustrating to hear. I think every Astros fan out here that's listening to the station, because, of course, we are Acadiana Sports Station, and we are your home for Houston Astros baseball for the fourth year in a row, I think you're going to be looking forward to opening day against the Angels. 
the first few series of the year are against AL West opponents. You're playing the A's the second series of the year. If that's that'll be the equivalent. And again, I'm going back to pro wrestling because I have to go back to pro wrestling in the sense. And sometimes you can tie it all together with pro wrestling. And trust me, I am a guy who can definitely jump around and do those kind of things. So basically, the second series, the Oakland A's, the Astros heading over there, is going to be like John Cena, one night stand 2006. Whenever John Cena was facing off against Rob Van Dam in the Hammerstein Ballroom, where it was all ECW fans, and they wanted John Cena's head in a figurative sense, of course. I think that's exactly what's going to happen whenever the Astros make their way to this, to Oakland in the Bay Area, where honestly there ain't jack else to do now, because the Oakland A's, the Oakland Raiders moved over to Vegas. The Oakland A's are going to suck because all you have is Mike Fires, Sean Manea's middle of the road, and who knows who else you're going to have? Because it seems like your team is just a bunch of jobbers at this point. Wind up looking at Athlon Sports and that projected rotation, woof. And then you have. Of course, what's causing all of this, it is, without a doubt, I mean, the Golden State Warriors, they are absolutely underwhelming this year. They suck, mainly because Steph Curry's out. you got a lot of injuries, and a lot of those key players left. Now you're seeing that team get demolished and demoralized beyond reproach. Right here, right now, 2020 is the year where Oakland is the place not to be. The Raiders already moved out. Don't be surprised if the not too distant future, the Oakland A's are looking towards moving out of that area and going towards, you know, Vegas, maybe. Because, hey, guess what? They're a baseball town now, like the San Diego Padres. And nobody cares about the Padres. Everybody's caring about the San Diego State Aztecs, but not caring about their basket, their baseball, Major League Baseball program. And now the A's deserve to suck simply because of one reason, one reason only. The A's are moving away from terrestrial radio with the A's cast, an online streaming service where you can listen to all their games. But guess what? You can't listen to any other broadcast on terrestrial radio. They're moving away to, from this right here, 1037 the game type stuff. Imagine if the Astros did that, how BH people would be is then you put things behind, potentially, of course, there's all potentially, a lot like the athletic, behind a paywall through a Spotify premium type thing. Then it looks bad on you. I hope the A's suck for years to come because guess what? They are overrated and they were just good those couple years when Moneyball was their thing. And everybody else took advantage of that and started to use that money ball. Now that everybody's doing it, guess what? You can't keep up. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, love we'll hour number two, getting in the real full swing. Coming up at 11.30, Blaine Henry of the Fight Library Podcast talking all things Wilder Fury 2, maybe a little bit about what happened to the most recent UFC card and a whole lot more. You'll see two Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game at 1037thegame.com.
Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Yeah. On 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Coming up in about, let's say, 10 minutes or so, we're going to have Blaine Henry on the show to talk a little bit of MMA. And, of course, we're talking about fighting. And I'm looking forward to talking with him about that and a whole lot more. But, of course, there's other things to talk about, and one of those is the NFL's CBA, the Collective Bargaining Agreement. It got voted on by the owners and agreed upon, but you also had the players. I, I, it's weird how things have gone. It's the executive council, the NFLPA voted 6-5 not to recommend the proposal for supported by NFL Network, later confirmed by the four-letter network. And the players were slated to vote on Friday over this, and then potentially we'd have the CBA agreed upon because all you need is a simple majority of these 32 players. All rep- one representative for each team. I know J.J. White was strongly against it. Hard no, he said. I believe he might be the representative for the Houston Texans. But then, you know, a little swerve came in. And that was the NFLPA Board of Player Representatives did not take a vote on the principal terms of a proposed new CBA. The executive committee looks forward to meeting the NFL management late next week before the board takes a vote shortly after. I think it's all about some negotiations about things. And in case you didn't know about the CBA, if you've been living under a rock, we've talked about it a lot here on the on Acadiana Sports Station, is the potential of a expanded season starting in 2021. Because the 10-year deal is running out in 2021. And we're talking about the CBA that almost seemingly took forever to be secured after not I, that was a whole mess that the that the NFL had to deal with. They're wanting to get this nipped in the bud and taken care of as soon as possible. Because if there's a lockout in 2020, with all the scrutiny the NFL has faced in recent years, because trust me, they faced a lot of scrutiny from the no no call, the lack of transparency from officials, to the Colin Kaepernick controversy. I'm just going to leave it at that. I think you know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to talk about it anymore because that's not my place. My place is to talk about fun content and also talk about what's breaking in the world of sports. And this is a big story that could wind up playing out very badly because this could damage the NFL's reputation. Because Despite the fact that we're a football-loving world, I think there's a lot less fans of the NFL a lot more of college football now because of the fact of what happened a few years ago. And again, I bring up Colin Kaepernick because I think that definitely turned a lot of people away. I'm just going to leave it at that. That being said, I think when you look at everything that the NFL CBA has to offer, a 17-game season, you remove one preseason game, and you add two more teams to increase the playoff field to 14, you have only one team with a bye week. Presumably, they 
both teams, everybody gets an additional bye week in the regular season. Presumably, I haven't seen the whole thing, but I think they're also looking, I think the players also want expanded rosters. They want the rosters to expand because you're playing one extra game. A 53-man roster wouldn't be able to hold up. I'm not saying expand it to what college football has, to an 85-man roster, because even then that seems like a little bit of a stretch. I'd say up and by 10, 63, and still have your 10-team practice squad because you'll get you'll get a buttload of money in your deals with the major networks, CBS, NBC, Fox, the four-letter network, potentially ABC could be back in the Monday Night Football fold. That's something that can be talked about down the road and bantied about. There's going to be a ton of money up for grabs, $5 billion, if I'm not mistaken, that's going to be kind of doled about. This is something that you need to keep an eye on if you're an NFL fan. And also if you're an XFL fan, because I think there's something going on. There's a storm of brewing, and if it goes south, this could be an interesting time to be a fan of professional football going forward. Because You could have a lockout. You could very well have that situation. I'm going to try and get some football people on that that are a lot closer to the situation than I am. But I'm looking forward to hearing from them to get their perspective on things because there's just a lot of like gray area and space that I just don't 100% know what all is going on. Hopefully down the road we do figure out what the hell is happening here. But until then, we're going to sit here and wonder what, what it will take to have this CBA agreement agreed upon by both parties. Because I think you, I think 17 games and this added postseason slot or two slots is something that's going to wind up being a like non-negotiable situation from the owner's perspective. I think that's where we're at. What else they want? Will the elders agree on it? Those are the real questions that we need answers to. Going to go ahead and take a quick timeout, come back, talk with Blaine Henry, a little boxing action this weekend, Wilder Fury 2. We'll talk about that with him next on 103.7 The Game, 103.7 The Game.com. Most sports radio shows go up to 10 on the app. But Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys are an Now, back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station. 1037 The Game. Welcome back under the dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 the game and 1037 thegamecom What you just heard was the first go round Wilder Fury 1 where it went down to a split decision and a draw just an absolutely fantastic fight Fury kind of rising from the dead Undertaker style 
in the 12th round of the contest. But right now to talk about Wilder Fury 2 Electric Boogaloo, we got to go over to our guy, Blaine Henry of the Fight Library Podcast. Blaine, what's going on, dude? Clint, my man, I am so hyped for this fight. I can't, words can't even describe it is how excited I am. It's absolutely going to be just one of those fights. And this is something that I've been thinking about over the last few days. Is this the last great big fight in boxing? No. Um, you got Canelo has many options to fight Billy Joe Saunders and Callum Smith. You've got Anthony Joshua obviously lurking out there. And if Conor McGregor wants to come back, face or not, it's going to be a big fight. Um, there's like, for example, I said Canelo earlier, Canelo and Manny Pacquiao. That's a huge fight that needs to happen. I like that a lot, but I, I guess I was just more thinking about in terms of the heavyweight division, and I like how you brought up Anthony Joshua. I think that's something that's going to probably happen down the line. But, man, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, the sequel that everybody's been looking forward to, and these two guys, there's no love lost between them. I mean, we saw the final press conference the other day, and these two guys just want to throw hands. It, it's crazy. The athletic commission – said they are not allowed to face off before the fight yesterday. So you saw them standing 20 feet away at each other facing off, kind of. I guess it's technically a face-off, but it's not face-to-face like that. They're just trying to stop some drama. There is so much hype behind this fight, especially with the last one being a draw. Uh, it's going to be a great fight, that's for sure. And so right now with Blaine Henry of the Fight Library Podcast. You know, the, one of the things that I'm just thinking about that's going to wind up probably being a big like check mark in the favor of Deontay Wilder is the fact that Tyson Fury, the last time he was in a ring, wasn't in a boxing ring. He was in a 20 by 20 squared circle in <laughs> Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Like, how much does that kind of change your perspective of this fight? Because it feels like Deontay, it feels like Tyson Fury now, he's becoming a lot like maybe Apollo Creed, if we're going to go more movie references, where he's more focused on the pomp and circumstance as opposed to the actual fight. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got the, the 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 whole wrestling thing. But to be fair, um, Tyson Fury has also been training with Darren Till for an MMA bout. Um, if I'm looking back at, at both of the fighters' fights since they last fought, Tyson Fury has fought Schwartz and uh, some other no-name, I believe, whereas Deontay Wilder fought uh, – oh, Otto Wilder, that's the one who gave him help um, – Deontay Wilder fought Luis Ortiz, who is probably one of the best top five boxers in the heavyweight division, and Dominic Brazil, which was a first round KO. But still, I like I like Deontay Wilder's focus here instead of Tyson Fury. Exactly, I think there's just a lot more focus from the man from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. We've seen what he did last year. I mean, we saw two fights ago that that incredible first round KO of Dominic Brazil. I got to say right here, right now, my pick has to be on. Deontay Wilderson because of his focus and also the fact he has shown that knockout power more times than not. I mean, he almost knocked out the the, the giant that is Tyson Fury in the last go round. Yeah, I, I really I, I, I like I like the uh, I like the rematch for sure. Um, I do like Deontay Wilder in this. Uh, although you're supposed to go with the boxer in the rematch, and Tyson Fury is very very obviously the boxer. Um, Deontay Wilder is different in the heavyweight division. Deontay Wilder has a missile of a right hand that, and he he paws with, with his jab. So he he paws, he gets his distance, and he'll crow hop like a baseball player from outfield throwing the home plate. He'll crow hop into that with the jab, 
and he'll come straight through with that that straight that puts people asleep. And the thing about Tyson Fury is he's great head movement and stuff, so you really can't count him out. He's a great boxer, but he has to be perfect the entire fight, whereas Deontay Wilder only has to be perfect for one punch of the whole fight, and that's it, and it can be over. And looking at some of the other uh, some of the other fights in the card right now, talking with Blaine Henry of the Fight Library podcast, and I think one of the fights that I'm interested in is Jared Washington and Charles Martin, another heavyweight bout. Where do you see this one going on the undercard? Well, Jared Washington is twenty and three with one draw, and Charles Martin is twenty seven two and one. Um, that's a real fun fight. I really do like Charles Martin as a boxer. But I feel like Gerald Washington here is going to come out with the win. He has more experience. Um, they're about what and what rank, you know. But I, I just like I like what Washington brings to the table in this fight. And flipping over to another one of those fights in the undercard, the super bantamweight title up for grabs with Emmanuel. I'm probably mispronouncing this. Navarrete taking on Yeo Santisma. Where do you see that fight going? Oh, this is a one-sided affair for Emmanuel. Emmanuel's one of the biggest up-and-coming stars in the sport. He's 30-1. and Don't let that one loss confuse you. Emmanuel has looked great in his last few fights. Francisco Horta is a great fighter, and he KO'd him. Juan Miguel Elord, also another KO. I mean, the dude is, hasn't lost since, I'm looking back, since 2012. So Emmanuel Navarte is one of the next biggest stars in the entire boxing world, for sure, without a doubt. Talk right now with Blaine Henry Fight Library podcast, and you know, like I love how we like like our conversations always kind of keep bringing up Regis Progray because I wound up seeing like yesterday World Boxing Super Series posted a video of him out there training. The dude was throwing some really nice punches on the bag. You know what? What's up with what's up with Progray? What's what's on tap for him in the not too distant future? Maurice, we talked about it last time. Maurice Hooker is the opponent that he wants. They're having an issue right now. Maurice Hooker wants to fight at 143, and Progray fights at 140. I know three pounds doesn't sound like a lot of difference, but when you're cutting weight, it makes a lot of difference. It's real hard to uh, to cut that extra three pounds and stay motivated for that. But it looks like the deal is going to get done, and whether it be at 140 or 143 catch weight, uh, that remains to be seen. But as of right now, yeah, it's going to happen. I like that a lot. Maurice Hooker, Regis Progray, that's going to be a good fight down the line. You know, obviously, we need to flip it over and go to the UFC for a minute because we just had recently, and you were out there in Houston, right? You're out there enjoying UFC 247. Excuse me. What do you thought? About, what, what do you think about the overall card? Well, uh, John Jones lost that fight. <laughs> a lot of people agree with me there, and if you, if you score like you're supposed to score an MMA bout, it's not a who won the fight as a whole. That's not how the UFC does it. That's old strike force days. One championship does it like that. It's who won each round. Dominic Reyes, I had winning one, two, and three. John Jones, four and five. I don't think there was enough for John Jones to get a 10-8 by any stretch of the imagination, so there's no way for him to have two 10-8 rounds. John Jones remains the champion. Um, Jan Blakovich just beat Corey Anderson. He is probably John Jones' next opponent. Um, Valentina Shevchenko already has a fight schedule. She's fighting Kaylin Kuchigan. Uh, not Kate, I'm sorry, she beat Caitlin Kukagan. Um, she's fighting Joanne Calderwood at UFC 251 in a couple months. So those are two of the best fighters in the world right now, and I'm looking forward to them coming back to the cage. I'm just looking forward to a lot more of the great fights we'll have down the line. I know we got Israel getting ready for a fight next month. I know we'll probably talk about that a little bit further down the line when it comes to the show. But, Blaine, I think we need to talk about just, like, how what was the vibe like in Houston, Texas, 
and the Toyota Center for this big fight because man, it's it's not often you hear about some like really big, high quality main event fighting in the month of February, especially in the city of Houston, Texas. Well, the card it was it was kind of lackluster. Um, a lot of people weren't happy with uh, a lot of the decisions and stuff. And then John Jones um, winning gave people a really bad taste in their mouth, and it was kind of a bad vibe, honestly. Talk right now with Blaine Henry Fight Library podcast. I can, I can definitely understand that. You know, just looking at the lineup, it's like it really wasn't that great. It was definitely carried by the John Jones fight. And he brought it up earlier. A lot of controversy surrounding that fight and how things went. And I, I like how you put it. It's like, yeah, the first three rounds go to Dominic Reyes, but somehow, some way, John Jones came away with a victory by decision. Definitely highly dubious. I think it was definitely the. The big question mark on there. And I don't know if it was it was malicious and dubious, but I do know that it wasn't right. Um, the judge, the judge there had several bad calls on that card, um, specifically with Lauren Murphy, Tevin Giles, and the first fight with Andre Ewell. And he also judged the John Jones fight. Um, there's been some rumblings of him having uh, connections with um, uh, what's his name, Tevin Giles. He trained with Tevin Giles, and that's a conflict of interest, and that should not that fight should not have been judged by the judge. I won't say his name because it's not right to put his name out there like that. He just had a bad night at work, basically. But it was still bad judging, nonetheless. And, Blaine, one more before we get out of here. What's coming up with you with the Mother Fight Library? What's going on there? Well, I will be having 103.7 The Game on the Fight Library. <laughs> I've got an interview with uh, with Newsom, Johnny Newsom. He's coming. Chaos Williams is coming. Um, Ashin Topic is a great Muay Thai fighter. That's coming as well. Uh, so we've been in the process of moving houses. I haven't had a chance to get as many interviews as I want lately, but they're coming for sure. I'm, I'm creeping up on episode 100. Nice, man. Creeping up on episode 100. You enjoy yourself this weekend. Enjoy Wilder Fury, too. We'll talk to you down the road. Clint, my man, you take it light, brother. I certainly will. Blaine Henry, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining the program on this Saturday afternoon, getting ready to enjoy a great weekend of football. I know it's weird to say that. Baseball, basketball, and fighting. Who doesn't love that? Also, a little Mardi Gras at that, too. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. And when we come back, I got one more take and also a little idea of what's coming up over the next few weeks in terms of the programming here on Saturday mornings here on Acadiana Sports Station. 1037 the game you listen to under the dome with CD. We'll be back after this wrapping up the show in a nice little bow next. Every time CD takes the mic, is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Now, let's get back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game, 103.7thegame.com. Getting ready to wrap things up in a nice little bow on this Saturday afternoon. Hopefully, you're out there enjoying yourself, kind of getting ready for some Mardi Gras parades. I know the children's parade about to get started in about like another, I think, half hour or so. 
hopefully you're out there enjoying life the right way. Can your weekend start it off the right way? Maybe you listen to me while you're out there on the road and taking care of some errands and doing what you need to do to get this weekend started off right. But before I get into my final take of the show, I want to give you all an idea of what's going on over the next few weeks because there's going to be a lot of things going on, a lot of moving targets. And one of those is next week's show. We'll start off there. February 29th, the Lethal Leap Year edition of Under the Dome. Next week's show will be 9 a.m. to 10.30, taking you up to LSU Hoops against Texas A&M, pregame 10.30, tip-off at 11. So we got that going on. Then on March the 7th, in two weeks' time, I'm going to be on a bit of a vacay. But don't worry, Under the Dome will go on. It'll be a best-of edition. We're going to have on some great guests, Frank Wilson, Beth Serena, John Sheff, all will be at the number. I can almost guarantee it. I might replay the Ross Jackson interview we had at the end of the year because I think that was a really cool conversation we had. So I'll, I'll give you an idea of what I've got on tap there on March 7th. It'll be a best of show. I will be sipping my ties in the Bahamas. Instead, I'll be sitting back enjoying some college hoops on the final weekend of the season before the tourneys all get started and also maybe a little XFL while I'm at it and probably catching up on a lot of different shows that I need to catch up on. Rick and Morty, I think, is at the top of the list. That new Hulu show, High Fidelity, that, that series needs to be binge-watched. And maybe I'll finally watch The Mandalorian. I might finally get on that train and watch the, watch the damn show. But, of course, then March 14th, this is in three weeks' time, I'll be spending some time in Houston, Texas. Banging on trash cans will be optional. For an entire weekend, I'll be out there for a wedding. But don't think I'm putting my foot on the brake and doing another best of. No, no, no. Because I'll actually be here for like four days. I'll be, actually have time to prepare a whole brand new episode ready for you from 10 a.m. to noon. Of course, unless LSU basketball gets the Saturday in the SEC tourney and things could be like all wacky, wacky, waving, flated. Uh, it's going to be a whole mess. But... So the next three weeks, February 29th, will be on from 9 a.m. to 10.30, leading you up to LSU basketball, taking on Texas A&M. March 7th, best of show. I'm on vacay. I'll be AFK, away from keyboard, for those who don't know acronyms. March 14th, spending some time in H-Town for a wedding. So we'll have a brand-new episode, but that'll all be self-contained in the can. Just a heads up on that, because I like to have transparency on this program, so... The next few weeks are going to be a little bit different, but after that, once March Madness gets started, we'll be full go. We'll be full sail, set and sail, full mast, ready to go with nothing but brand new content every single week. We're getting ready for the draft with the NFL draft. I can't wait to talk to Ross Jackson about where the Saints might go with their pick and a whole lot of other stuff. But that's future talk. Well, Kind of, sort of, because we're going to talk about the draft in a moment, but more so about one particular player that's definitely become the center of the conversation. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be the one that he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. I think that this take is definitely a hot one. When it comes to Joe Burrow, 
The question that everybody and their mama's asking or stating he has is leverage. But does Joe Burrow really have leverage? I say no. And I'll tell you why. Is the fact that there's another guy out there that I think a lot of teams probably could take, especially that number one pick. The Cincinnati Bengals have a very tough decision to make. It's not etched in stone. This is a very strong-ass quarterback class led by two guys. One of them in Joe Burrow, Heisman Trophy winner, national champion. The other, Tua Tunga Vialoa, the guy who just got off hip surgery, who is going to probably be cleared before long for football activities, but he has looked good. His, his rehab has gotten better. His hip is is good. It's not like they had a bad job with the hip surgery. His hip is ready to go. I think that definitely could put a wrinkle on things. Is Joe Burrow the number one quarterback in this draft? I think so. But to say Joe Burrow has leverage to pull at Eli Manning, I don't think so. And also, I think the fact that Joe Burrow's not that kind of guy if he gets drafted the Bengals, so be it. He's going to be willing to take to have that bitter pill for a little bit. I think Joe Burrow knows that he's going to walk into a mess. But guess what? He's one of those guys that probably doesn't mind getting his hands dirty and try to prove himself the first couple of years that he can try and get this thing set up perfectly and set himself up for a lot of success. That being said... We're just going to stay in here and say right here, right now, the question is, are the Bengals going to be good two, three years down the road? Because I think that's what Joe Burrow's thinking. Because if Joe Burrow isn't succeeding at a certain level, he's going to want out. If this team isn't at a certain level, because Joe Burrow's used to being part of a franchise and a program that's winning a lot. He's at Ohio State. He's at LSU. Those programs win a good bit of games and perform pretty darn well. So if you're Joe Burrow, you don't have leverage for now. Because of the fact that I don't think you want to use that leverage. I don't think he wants to pull Eli Manning and be a punk and be a self-entitled punk at that. What if you look at Eli Manning? Because Eli Manning was going to be with the Chargers, but he didn't want to be part of it. He wanted to be in New York City. Probably regrets that a lot considering the fact he's gotten a lot of heat for all that mess, but you know that's just how life goes. So for me, it's there's no leverage. It's just people saying that to try and make make people people believe there's even a chance he can go to another team not named the Cincinnati Bungles, and they'll deal with it. He'll deal with it for a couple of years, but don't be surprised if he bounces out not long after that. We're out of here. Have a great rest of your Saturday, everybody. Well, we just me. I'll be back with you next week under the dome once again, 9 a.m. to 10.30, leading you up to tip-off or pregame for LSU Texas A&M. Peace out, everybody. Hey, Clavis, wake up. The show's over. Oh, yeah. Kick it.